Today, as we continue with uh, part two of our series called The Name, I wonder which name in the Christmas story is the one that you most relate to. Is it Mary? Is it the shepherds? Is it the wise men? You know, a couple years ago, I was preaching a message about Christmas, and I made a joke about uh, Joseph, and Nate has shared with you and, you know, some of his messages that he was actually a little bit irritated with sort of my more modernized interpretation I made of Joseph in that uh, particular message. And Nate said, you know, the, the reason that he was irritated with that was that he, he likes to see the, the characters of the Bible sort of in the, the culture and the context in which they were actually presented, not sort of the modern interpretation that I had given. And that got me to thinking, you know, does Nate apply that to all Bible characters or not? Because there's a Bible character today that I want to sort of pick on a little bit. And so are we allowed to pick on like the bad Bible characters? I mean, you know, is it like in his mind, is it like good Bible characters? You can pick on bad Bible characters. You can't. Not quite sure what he would think about that. And then like, is it all like Bible characters? He's like, no, don't, don't, pick, don't pick on people like that. And then, is it even just like all of history that he would think that? I, I wish he was here today to um, be able to answer my question. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that there's some bad people, because I'm going to talk about a bad king today in Scripture. And there are some bad, bad kings throughout history. People like King Richard III. People like Vlad the Impaler. Or how about this one? There's King George III. Do you remember him? He was the guy that actually we were at war against, you know, as we founded our nation. He's the one that, if we're talking about picking on people, Lin-Manuel Miranda in his hit musical Hamilton, he picks on King George III like nobody's business. I mean, would Nate be okay with things like, I really wish we knew. What would Nate think about this? price of my love's not a price that you're willing to pay You cry in your tea which you hurl in the sea when you see me go by Why so sad? Remember we made an arrangement when you went away Now you're making me mad Remember despite our estrangement I'm your man You'll be back Soon you'll see You'll remember You belong to me You'll be back Time will tell You'll remember That I served you well Oceans rise Empires fall We have seen each other Through it all And when push to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Da 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 da
Cause you're my favorite subject My sweet, submissive subject My loyal, royal subject Forever and ever And ever and ever and ever You'll be back like before I will fight the fight and win the war For your love, for your praise And I'll love you to my dying days When you're gone To remind you of my love. Da 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 Guess we'll never really know what Nate thinks about it. I wish he were here today because my wife Lisa thinks that Nate looks like the guy Jonathan Groff who played uh, the King George in, in Hamilton, but man, that would have been very interesting to know what uh, Nate thought about that. But anyway, the King George was like this horrible, horrible king. But the guy we're going to talk about today, King Herod from Scripture, <laughs> he was really really bad. In fact, I would say that as I asked you, what is your favorite character from the Christmas story? None of you said King Herod. But yet, here's what's ironic. King Herod is probably the one that we're most like out of the entire Christmas story. You're going, over what in the world do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you a little bit of King Herod's story here today. If you remember, the Roman Empire were ruling the world when Jesus was born. And it was weird. What the Roman Empire would do is they would go in and conquer new countries they actually like let the people sort of remain how they were. In other words, they could continue to worship their god or gods. Uh, basically, their lifestyle could stay the same way that they had before. Basically, for the Romans, what they were most concerned with was, are you paying us your taxes? And are you not like trying to rise up in an insurrection and try to overthrow us in any way? As long as you were doing that, you were fine. Now, what they would do is they would always like appoint somebody to rule over a land that they had conquered. That's where King Herod comes into the story. King Herod was not Jewish at all. He was ruling over Israel, but he's not a Jew. He was appointed by the Romans. And of course, this drove the Jewish people crazy that, you know, we've had other kings like King David and King Solomon throughout our time. And now we have this guy, King Herod. He, he's not one of us. And so, again, it drove them completely crazy. But King Herod, he was a very, very wise man. He was very smart. He was politically savvy. And so he would do whatever he could to try to win the favor of the Jews. In fact, about 20 years before Jesus was born, 
King Herod helped the Jews to redesign and then rebuild the temple. I mean, he made it into this most magnificent structure that has ever been seen. I mean, it was the the biggest and the best building in the entire world at the time. And King Herod had helped the Jews to do that. He helped them to establish port cities. He helped them to get aqueducts built. So there was a lot of good things he was trying to do for them. But yet at the same time, he was so, so evil. He was so ambitious. He had such a need for control. And that's what ultimately led to his downfall. Now, I shared with you in our previous series called Evidence that a lot of what we know from King Herod isn't just found in Scripture, but it's also found in the writings of other people from around that time. And King Herod is actually just sort of a B character in all those stories. The the stories that you're more familiar with are ones that you learned when you were in in, uh, high school. If you remember in 44 uh, BC, so 44 years before Jesus came, there was a guy by the name of Julius Caesar. Remember learning about Julius Caesar in high school? Yep. Julius Caesar was assassinated. Anybody remember who he was assassinated by? Somebody's raising their hand in the back. Who was it? What was his name? It starts with a B. Brutus, right. So he's assassinated by Brutus. Now, Julius Caesar had a nephew by the name of Octavius, and then his best friend, whose name was Mark Antony, And they decide that they're going to join forces together and they're going to just basically eliminate all the people that had assassinated Julius Caesar. So again, picture this. you got Octavius, you've got Mark Antony. They're going to combine together. They're going to assassinate everybody that had assassinated Julius Caesar. They eventually do that. But as they're doing that, and they're both sort of rising to power together, a rift grows between them. And basically, you know, it gets to the place of there's only enough room in Rome for one sheriff, so to speak. And so are you going to back Octavius or are you going to back Mark Antony? And this is where Herod comes into the story. Because Herod decides he's going to back Mark Antony. And Mark Antony had a very famous Egyptian wife. You remember what her name was? Cleopatra, right. And so that's Herod. He's backing them in this sort of civil war that's going on. He's throwing them parties. He's giving them very lavish gifts. Now, if you remember from history, Herod had backed the wrong horse. Because it's Octavius that eventually wins. And Octavius takes on a new name. He becomes Caesar Augustus. Now, for Herod, he has a couple choices he can make here. Because again, he's on the wrong team. He's on the losing team. So he can just go ahead and commit suicide, get it out of the way. You know, he's going to probably die for this whole thing. He could do that, commit suicide. Number two, he could try to flee and get away, but he figures eventually they're going to track me down. Or he can, like, just a one in a million shot, he can actually go to Caesar Augustus and try to apologize and see if he can make up. That's what he decides to do. So Herod, he travels to the island of Rhodes, and he has this meeting with Caesar Augustus, and he says, look, I know I backed your enemy, Mark Antony and Cleopatra, and I was loyal to them. But listen, you won fair and square. And as loyal as I was to them, I'll be loyal to you. 
Well, here's the deal. Not only does Caesar Augustus go along with this and accept the apology, he actually gives Herod more territory to rule. And so that's where we find, you know, at the birth of Jesus, that Caesar Augustus is ruling, and Herod is there, and he's ruling over Israel. Now, Herod, at the age of 70, he got this kidney disease that was very, very, very painful. And I've shared this with you in the, the past, that Herod, because everything I've shared with you so far, it sounds like he's like very smart. He's, he's been trying to help the Jews, very politically savvy and sort of setting himself up and everything. It sounds like he's a great guy, but again, he wasn't. Anybody that he felt was a, a threat to his control, he'd eliminate them. I mean, we're talking anybody. There's a couple of his sons. I, I think it was three different sons that he had assassinated because he thought that they were trying to rise up and take the crown from dear old dad. He had some of his wives murdered. He had one of his mother-in-laws murdered. He had some Jewish rabbis murdered, all because he thought that they were a threat. Now, again, he has this, this kidney disease, and he realizes his time is probably getting a little bit short. And so he's sort of setting the stage for who is going to take my place once I'm dead and gone. And that's where we'll pick up the scripture then. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, here's what we read, because Herod gets some disturbing news. We read this. When Jesus was born in the village of Bethlehem in Judea, Herod was the king. During this time, some wise men came from the east to Jerusalem and said, where is the child born to be what? What does he say? Born to be the... King of the what? King of the Jews. We saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, can you imagine Herod's reaction here? Herod's like, wait a second. I'm the king of the Jews, and I'm the one that's going to determine who takes my place as the king of the Jews. What do you mean that there's a a new person that's been born as king of the Jews? Verse 3. When King Herod heard about this, he was what? He was, what does it say? He was deeply upset, and so was what? So was everybody else in Jerusalem. Now, here's the deal. We know why King Herod was upset, don't we? I already shared with you. Anybody that was a threat to his power, he was going to eliminate and assassinate. But why would this say that everybody else in all of Jerusalem was upset as well. What's that all about? How many ever heard the uh, saying before, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? You ever heard that before? (laughs) Sort of the same thing here. If Herod wasn't happy, nobody was going to be happy. Why? Because he was a psychopath. Basically, anytime he was upset, he would just go off on people. And you never knew who he was going to take his rage out on. And so everybody's afraid. If he's upset, we're upset as well. Now, as we continue on, what we find out is what happens next. Look at verses 4 to 6. It says, He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, and he asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied. 
For the prophets wrote, you, Bethlehem, are very important amongst all the cities of Judea, and from you shall come the what? What's it say? Not just the king, it says the king, capital T, capital K. From there is going to come the king who will shepherd the people of Israel. Now, can you imagine as he calls in these religious scholars, they're like, hey, don't shoot us. We're just the messenger, right? We're just telling you what's true. You asked, where's the Messiah to be born? We told you, Bethlehem, that's where, you know, again, it's not us. It's scripture that says that's where the king will be born. Don't, don't kill us. Now, surprisingly, Herod doesn't react. He's like, okay, and he dismisses them. And they're like, whew, <laughs> I mean, Herod must be like mellowing out. He's chilling out in his old age. Now, you think that's what happened? No. Herod has a secret plan. In fact, we read about it in the very next verse, verse 7. Herod secretly called in the wise men, and he asked them where they had first seen the star. When they had first seen the star. Now, the answer they're going to give is two years prior is when they first saw the star. Now, I've shared this with you in the past. I'm going to continue to share it until you do it. One of my pet peeves is your nativity scenes at home. It does not have the wise men in it. I mean, yours does, but it shouldn't. The wise men weren't actually there the night that Jesus was born. So I've shared with you, to be biblically correct, put your wise men on the other side of the living room. <laughs> and then wait a couple years and move them across your living room and put them there. People look at you really, really weird in like June and July. They're like, why are there like wise men like traveling across your living room? You're going, Gilbert, why are you preaching about the wise men in a Christmas series? It's because I don't take my own advice sometimes. <laughs> but no, we, we've made the wise men a part of the Christmas story. And obviously, I'm joking here a little bit today. But in all seriousness, when King Herod asked them this question of, when did you first see the star? He would have, they would have said, two years ago is when we first saw it. And that's important that you understand that because it's going to make sense a little bit later. Look at verse 8. So Herod told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, let me know. I also want to go and worship him. Typical politician here. I already told you, he is a very smart, very wise, very savvy politician. Typical politician. What is he doing? He is lying. He's lying out of both sides of his mouth here. He doesn't want to worship Jesus. What does he want to do? He wants to kill Jesus. Why? Because Herod kills anybody that he feels is a threat to his crown. Continuing on in verses 9 to 11. The wise men listened to what the king said, and then they left. And the star they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And they were thrilled and excited to see the star. When the men went into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, they knelt down and they did what? They, they worshipped him. They took out their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh and gave them to him. I love this. When they get into the presence of this baby, they bow down and they worship him. Now, unfortunately, we've made the word worship in our American context. We've made that into, oh, well, that's what we do before Gilbert preaches the message. We have a time of worship and then a message. In other words, we've made worship all about music. But worship is so much more than just music. 
Worship is everything. Worship is when you realize you're in the presence of somebody that you're like, you know what? I'm going to give everything to this person. I realize that they are the only one that deserves my devotion and my time and my talent, my treasure and my testimony. I realize that this is the person I need to give my all to. That is worship. And what do these wise men do? And the reason they're called the wise men is because they were wise. They said, we're going to give what we have. And so they give their gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. They recognize that they are in the presence of somebody who is truly special. And they said, we're going to give everything we have mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. We're going to give it all to this child because he is capital T, the capital K, king. They realized who he was, and they decided to surrender everything to him. Meanwhile, just six miles away, King Herod is back in his palace, and he's worried. Where are those guys at? I told him to, to come back. And so he's sweating, like, where are they? Why, why haven't they come back yet? He's telling his guards, like, send somebody out to the city gates and, and station somebody there to watch. As soon as you see him, let me know, because I need to find out where is this new king of the Jews? Where, I mean, I didn't mean to do the air quotes. I mean, where is the king of the Jews at? Because I want to go and worship him. He's really sweating it out. He's really worried. Because again, Herod, he wanted to control things. He wanted to preserve what he had. He wanted to protect his kingdom. He's like, there's not a new king of the Jews. I'm the king of the Jews. And there's no way I'm bowing down to anyone or anything else. And this is why I said at the beginning of the message, I believe there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Because, you know, Herod, he liked the idea of Jesus just as long as Jesus didn't impose on him or his lifestyle or what he had built up, his little kingdom. And isn't that what we're like? We like what Jesus can do for us, but Jesus, don't you dare ask me to do anything. Don't you dare ask me to surrender anything. Don't you dare ask me to give up my time and my talent and my treasure and my testimony. Jesus, don't you dare interrupt, you know, my kingdom that I'm building, you know, the family that I'm building, the career that I'm building, the lifestyle that I'm building. Jesus, don't you dare ask me to surrender anything to you. Don't you dare ask me to worship you. Again, Jesus, I want you to do things for me, but don't ask anything from me. Again, there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. But the wise men, they recognize that Jesus is the king. And he's not just the king. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And his kingdom shall reign forever and ever and ever. Verses 12 to 14. While they, meaning the wise men, slept, God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod, but to return to their own country by another route. After the wise men had gone, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, hurry, and take the child and his mother to Egypt. 
stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is looking for the child and he wants to kill him. That night, Joseph got up and took his wife and the child to Egypt. Now, in my mind, I almost picture this like a a movie, and all of a sudden, we don't have dialogue anymore. Like this very dramatic music comes on, and there's sort of a montage that's sort of flashing back and forth between Herod and Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And so what you see, and, and again, picture this in your mind, this dramatic music as you see Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they're, they're fleeing under the cover of night out of Jerusalem and out of uh, the, the area of Bethlehem there, and they're fleeing out into the desert, and they're on their way to Egypt. Meanwhile, picture in your mind, there's Herod. He's back at the palace. He's fretting about where are these wise men at, and he realizes suddenly that he's been outwitted by them, and you see him sort of motioning for his guards to come into the room, and then the music stops, and Herod all of a sudden has dialogue again, and he gives the most horrific of orders ever given. he realizes he's been outsmarted by these wise men. And he's like, there is no way I'm going to allow a little baby to defeat me. You see, Herod had this wind streak that had gone on and on and on and on that every single time somebody had tried to rise up to take power from him, he had always been able to defeat them. And he's like, my wind streak is not ending today. And so he says, if nobody will point out which baby it is, I'm going to kill all the babies. And so he tells the guards, every child two years old and under, I want you to murder them. And that's exactly what happens. The guards go out, and they start killing all the children two and under, and any of the parents, and I'm sure there were many, any of the parents that tried to get in their way. Now, Mary doesn't know about this as it's happening. Remember, they've already fled, and there wasn't internet to let them know that, oh, this horrific thing has happened back in the area of Bethlehem. She doesn't know that it happened until she returns. Can you imagine what that was like for Mary to know for the rest of her life that because her child got to live, everybody else had to die? Of course, the ironic twist is eventually because her child would die, everybody else would get to live. That includes you and it includes me as well. That because of Jesus' death on the cross, we can be forgiven of our sin. We can have a relationship with God again forever and ever and ever because he is the true king. Speaking of, of life and death, Shortly after this story takes place and Herod's ordered the execution of all the children, his kidney disease gets even worse. And he realizes that I'm about to die here. And he actually tried to commit suicide, but his cousin actually stopped him from committing suicide. And Herod realized, all right, I'm just going to die. And I've shared this with you in the past, if you remember. Herod knew that nobody was going to, like, be sad when he died. And so he ordered that all the most influential and and wealthy people there in Israel be rounded up and arrested and held in prison. And Herod gave the order that as soon as I die, you need to murder all these other people so that there is crying and weeping and wailing on the day of my death. Again, he knew nobody was going to cry for him. But he wanted to make sure that there was weeping and wailing 
on the day that he died. Now, as a little side note, when he died, they didn't do it. <laughs> Everybody said, amen, yay. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> they didn't do it. They didn't follow through with it. That just gives you a little bit of the, the story of Herod. And then we read this in, in verse 15. They, meaning Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus, they stayed in Egypt until the death of Herod. So the Lord's promise came true, just as the prophet had said, I called my son out of Egypt. Skip down then to verse 19. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. Now, the irony of this whole thing is Herod becomes just a little footnote in all of history. And I want you to imagine, like, trying to explain that to Herod on his deathbed. You're like, Herod, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. He's like, all right, let me know what it is. All right, Herod, 2,000 years from now, people are going to gather together in a building in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't even know what a Pennsylvania is, but it's like all the way across the ocean. They're going to gather together in rows, and they're going to gather together online. You don't know what online is, but just trust me, it's going to be cool. People all around the world will be able to get access to hearing messages online, and there's going to be like a, a campus of this particular church. You don't know what a church is, but anyway, Herod, just go along with me on this. They're going to gather together in person, in line, or online in a campus in Hagerstown, Maryland, and, and all around the, the, the country of what's going to be called the United States, and they're going to gather together in rows, and there's going to be other of these churches all throughout the world. They're going to gather together in rows and circles and at homes, and they're going to talk about you 2,000 years from now. Herod's like, that's awesome. Me? Well, yeah, but here's the bad news, Herod. You're just a B character. You're just a footnote in the story of the little baby that you tried to kill. Herod, you're not going to be remembered as a great builder. You're going to be remembered as a butcher. You're going to be remembered as the guy that was only six miles away from the king, God, being born into the earth. But yet you missed it because you were too concerned with building your own kingdom and trying to preserve your own stuff. That's the story of Herod. And again, I ask you today, who are you going to be in today's story? Are you going to be more like Herod? Or are you going to be like the wise men? And I said to you right up front that I believe there's a little bit of Herod in all of us because our sinful nature that is still there, yes, we've been forgiven of our sin, but our sinful nature still wants to rise up all the time and get us to be like Herod and to control things and manipulate things and lie about things, and try to preserve and protect what we think is ours to build our family, to build our career, to build our family, to build our wealth, to build our thing. It's amazing how much like Herod we are. So we have a choice today. Are we going to be like Herod? Or are we going to be like the wise men? who realized who they were in front of. 
And they said, this is the king. They bowed down and they worshiped him. I've shared with you before that Jesus' um, best friend was a guy by the name of John. John ends up writing five of the books of what we would call the New Testament. He writes the Gospel of John. He writes three very, very short letters called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he also writes what we would call the book of Revelation. And it's in that book of Revelation that, that John is given a vision by Jesus of what the future is going to look like and, and what was happening right there in his day and his time. And it's in this vision that the Holy Spirit gives John the, sort of the, the words, and it's what I've titled today's message as we talk about what are these names and, and titles of Jesus. John gives it. Look at Revelation 7.14. He says, Jesus is the King of kings and is called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Jesus is the King of kings. In today's story, it was literally a king, Herod, that Jesus is even the king of a king. None of us, as I look around, and I'm assuming online there's no kings, but King Charles, you know, I guess if you're watching, welcome. Great to have you here. Uh, but I, I doubt there's any kings that are actually watching or here. So none of us are even at that level. But yet we often act like we're kings. We act like we have our own little kingdom. And so again, I'll ask you the question. Are you going to be a king? Or are you going to be like the wise men? Bow down and worship Jesus and say, Jesus, here's everything that I have. Here is me mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually, Here's all my time. Here's my talent. Here's my treasure. Here's my testimony. I give it all to you because you are the king of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And the cool thing about God is he gives you the choice. He doesn't force himself on you. It's your choice. I, choose, or I pray that today you choose wisely. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus born as a baby into this world, but even at his birth, and then in those years following, first the shepherds, and then Simeon and, and Anna, and then years later, the, these wise men, they, they realize who you are, that you are the king of kings, and they bow down and they worship you. Jesus, help us to realize who you are. Help us not to be like Herod, who was so close, but yet at the same time, so far away. Lord, I know the temptation for each and every one of us is to try to build our own little kingdom. Lord, help us to realize that when we're a small fragment of your kingdom, and it's about your will being done and not our own will being done, that when we're even that small fragment, it's still so much bigger and greater than anything we could possibly build on our own. And so, Lord, help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them fully on you and to bow down and to worship you and give you everything that we have. That it's not about us, that it would be all about you. 
Lord, I pray that if there's anybody that's here or watching online, that if they've never started a relationship with you, that today would be the day that they would do that. And it is as simple as recognizing who you are, that you are God in the flesh, and that ultimately you died on the cross so that our sins may be forgiven. And so, Lord, help us to confess our sins to you because you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. You want to forgive us. You want to cleanse us. And you want to to, to come in and give us a brand new life, a fresh start. And Lord, you want us then to, to be about your kingdom, joining you in your mission and your message. This is a lost and this is a hurting world. Jesus, you want us to be your hands and feet in helping people, not just to resolve the problems of the world that are like physical or or social issues. Yes, those are important, but most of all, you want us to, to help in those spiritual issues, to help make sure that every single man, woman, boy, and girl gets to hear the good news that Jesus, you are risen, that you came to save us from our sin. And you came to restore us back to what it is that you'd have us to be. So, Lord, if there's anybody that hasn't prayed that prayer, I pray that today they would just, in simple faith, just pray and ask for your forgiveness and your leadership in their lives. Lord, I I know that there's many people that are here and many people that are watching online that they've already prayed that prayer before, but they've sort of drifted back into that old lifestyle where they've made life more about themselves than they've made it about you. So, Jesus, I pray that today would be a day of repentance, that today would be the day that your spirit is convicting people of the ways that they've drifted off, that, Lord, right now, your Holy Spirit would be giving the next step that they need to take in order to make it right, to turn from that evilness, that wickedness, and to turn back to you and give 100% to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would convict and convince right now through the power of your spirit and that people will then have the courage to take that next step, whatever it may mean. And no matter what the sacrifice uh, might be that they have to take in order to do that. Lord, we want to worship you with everything that we have, just like those wise men did. So help us to be wise men and women of God here today. I pray all this in Jesus' name.